Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. John 4, verse 30. We remember that Jesus had to go through the land of Samaria. Now, He really didn't need to go, but the Bible says He did because He had a divine appointment. There was a woman by a well. And there this woman came in the middle of the afternoon to draw water. Most of the time when women drew water, it was either in the morning or in the evening, not in the heat of the day. But here she comes. We don't know why. Perhaps she was ostracized by the people of the community. Maybe she just chose to come at noon. Maybe that uh, the ladies of the town didn't want to be around her because as we read on in the story, she'd been married five times and she was currently living with somebody. Whatever reason it was, Jesus met up with her in this little town called Sychar. Now, the Samaritans were an interesting group of people. They were half Jews, half Gentiles. Because of that, they were highly despised by the purebred Jews, you might say. There was a lot of prejudice that was going on. Well, one of the things that we find is that Jesus opens a conversation with her. He said, give me a drink by this well. And she said, uh, well, how is it that you, being a Jew, asked me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water? And we remember that Jesus begins to have a dialogue with her, talking about living water. Water that won't dry up inside of you. Well, this really intrigued the girl. And he said, where is your husband? And she says, I have no husband. And he said, well... You've answered truly. You've had five husbands and the man you're currently with is not your own. She says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Well, at this particular time, it caught her attention. And so now this girl has been touched. She knew that this man knew everything about her. Jesus said, I am the Christ. Well, what was amazing is because Jesus knew everything about her, he didn't throw her out. In fact, because he knew everything about her, He embraced her even more. This really, really was unusual because of the prejudice that existed. Well, here's what's really cool about this as we read on and we can just pick up the story. Let's pray. Father, as we go into your word now, may your Holy Spirit speak to us. Cause us to remember these things. Let us remember, God, that you do know everything about us and you still love us. And so we ask you now, bless these words in Jesus' name. Amen. And so it says, this woman then goes into the city, tells the men everything that she had ever done. By the way, we don't know why this woman was married five times. Automatically we think, well, she went through a lot of husbands and things. We don't know that. She could have been legitimately married five times. Perhaps through disease or war or whatever, she just ended up being married a lot. And for an unknown reason, she was living with a guy. Well, we find here 
that they went out of the city, the men of the city came to him. Verse 31, in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. Earlier we found in this chapter that Jesus sent the disciples into town to get something to eat for them all. And so they came back and they said, Rabbi, eat. They had food. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat, eat which you do not know. Now Jesus was speaking of something that would truly fill you. Uh, I think there's a lot of things we do when we're done, we're still hungry. Uh, maybe it's our hobby. Maybe it's, maybe it could be even something you eat. I don't know. But whatever it is, the Bible here says that Jesus had food that they did not know of. Speaking of spiritual meat. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Uh, I, I think it's kind of nice that the disciples were concerned about Jesus, wanting to make sure his, his daily provision was met. But Jesus then goes on and tells them, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me, and to finish His work. Do you not say that there are still four months, and then come the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white with harvest. And he who reaps receives wages, and he who gathers fruit for eternal life. Both those who sow and those who reap may rejoice together. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, one person will sow, another one will water, another one will reap the harvest, but God's the one that gets the glory. Well, Jesus is saying here that there's a big harvest out there. The fields are white with harvest. In fact, another place Jesus said, the labors are few. When do you realize the labors are few? When you look around at the enormous task at hand, a lot of wheat, a lot of it's mature, and there isn't much in the way of help. That's when you really realize how scant those true laborers are in the kingdom of God. Oh, there's a lot of people that will go to church. There's a lot of people who will in some way confess a relationship with Christ. But when it actually comes to being about daddy's business... This is where we find the problem. Now, when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is basically what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, my will is to do the will of the Father who sent me and finish it. I, I think there's a lot of times we do things, we go, well, uh, it's uh, good enough. Well, when we do God's work, we don't want to just do a good enough job. We want to do the best job. And I think anything worthy of our time as Christians is worthy of our best. And so this is what Jesus is teaching all of us. Now, again, I think all of us have been horribly disappointed by people who we've had do work for us. You, you say, my, my car's making a clunky weird sound. And, and you drive it into the mechanic. Uh, well, hopefully into a shop, not into him. But anyway, you drive the car in, into the mechanic store and you say, it makes a weird, weird, and, and they say, well, what kind of a noise does it make? And so I think they like to just make fun of us making sounds. Well, a kind of a clunk, clunk. And there's all in the background laughing and snickering at you trying to make a funny sound. Well, anyway, the point is you pay them to fix it, you get it back, and it still doesn't work. Well, why? Well, 
evidently either they didn't fix it right, they didn't check their work, or they simply just don't care. Well, these are problems. But we never want to be that way concerning our king, our relationship with God. Because again, to do the will of God and finish it. That's sometimes a hard thing because seeing something through to fruition, that is a hard thing sometimes. Because we like in our society instant fixes. You know, I mean, it's down now to crazy glue that you just wave a, a ultraviolet light over it and it instantly gets hard. That's the kind of glue I like. I don't like gluing something and coming back in six hours and hopefully it's set up. I want it done. I want it done now. But we find really when we do kingdom work, we deal with people that sometimes, as myself, move rather slow in any direction. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it would be nice that we could just snap our fingers and everything is blue sky, sunshine, and children saying hello. But the problem is we know it doesn't work that way. And so because of that, God works through our lives, through the circumstances in our lives. And by the way, sometimes God has allowed and sometimes we cause. Now, I don't mind so much the ones that God allows. It's the ones that I cause that we have to work through. But nevertheless, God's bigger than anything wrong that we've ever done. God is the great healer, the great repairer, the great fixer of all things. And so Jesus is saying, in time, it works. Notice verse 35 again. He said, do you not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, the fields are already white with harvest. There is timing that is part of God's plan. There's timing in your life. There's some things that you may ask God for and God will say no, but that doesn't mean it's a forever no. It means maybe it's just for no right now because God is working other issues in our lives and others around us to bring us about to what He wants us to do. So, Jesus says, I sent you to reap for which you have not labored. You know, God, is, the Holy Spirit's already in the world doing great things. You know, He's already bringing people into conviction. You know, uh, I had a friend one time say, yeah, this one particular pastor, every time he sneezes, a thousand people get saved. Well, is it that he has a really Holy Ghost sneeze? No, it's the joke was, is that he just simply gives an invitation for which the Holy Spirit has already been working on the people to bring them into his kingdom. A lot of times we think we have to talk somebody into accepting Christ. I have found oftentimes God has already done the work. All God wants us to do is invite him. Here's an invitation. Would you like to go to heaven forever? Well, when we give that to them, and they go, yeah, that's what I want. Well, wait a minute. Uh, maybe I didn't explain it good enough. First of all, you've got to repent of your sins. You've got to, and, and they're going, I want to accept Christ. And you go, maybe I still didn't explain. I mean, it's so overwhelming that sometimes people want to get right with God. We often think they don't. But sometimes they do. Why? They've had enough of living their life the way they've lived it in the world. They go, I don't want to live that way anymore. There's got to be another way to live. Well, that's where Jesus is saying, I sent you in to reap for which you have not labored. Or literally the word here is the word toiled. That, that you have, you've toiled hard for all these things. Well, here we find in verse 39... 
And by the way, this is all directly a result of a woman. Now, oftentimes we find in many cultures, women are subservient citizens in society. You know, in the Arab world, they walk 20 paces behind their husband, all these different things. Well, here we find this Samaritan woman, when she went into town, told everybody what was going on in her life. Notice what it says. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Jesus because of the word the woman who testified He told me all things that I ever did. Well, again, I talked about this last week. I thought it was kind of interesting that when she went into the city, she told the men. Now, here's a woman that's been married five times, currently living with somebody, told the men in the city, come see a man that's told me everything I've ever done. And I don't know what kind of a reputation she had or the men's involvement with this girl, but they all came running to Jesus. Well, notice it also says, many of them believed because of the, what the woman had said. That he told me all things that I ever did. You know, it's kind of interesting, again, that when you... Oftentimes, the more you know about somebody, the more you don't want to know. The fantasy is better than the reality. And in the dating world, that seems to be the preeminent thing. You have an idea of somebody... And then the reality sets in. By the way, that happens oftentimes in marriage. Because in marriage, what you'll find is the minute that you get married, there's six people living in the house. Immediately. There's the person she thinks you are. There's the person you think she is. Then there's the person who you think you are and the person he thinks or she thinks she is. And then, here's the whole hardcore reality, who you really are and who she really is. And sometimes, nary does any of these meet. Because again, sometimes who we think somebody is and who they think they are and who they really are is a vast miles of difference In fact, what they say concerning people that are mental cases, they say the greater distance between who you think you are and who you really are, the greater distance is how crazy you really are. So there's a blessedness in knowing who you are. Now, the Bible says, know thyself. How do you do that? Well, you go to a psych and you spend like, you know, $150 an hour and they'll tell you all about yourself. Now you can do that. They still won't really know who you are because they operate off of your information. And, and key elements of detail can be left out. And so therefore, you really don't know, they really don't know who you really are. But there's one who does. And that's God. God knows everything about us and still works with us, loves us, and called us into His kingdom. Now friends, that's a, an amazing thing to me. Because when somebody really knows who you are, then the Bible says, the Bible says, God says that He knows what we need before we ask Him. And so if God knows what I and who I am and knows what I need before I ask, I can be refined. I can be repaired. See, going back to the car repair guy, See, the reason why a lot of times they don't fix your car is they truly don't know what's wrong with it. 
They go through and do the, well, I think it's bad, I'll replace it. And so you go in for something that seems to be simple, and here's a big long list of everything they replace because they didn't know it was wrong, so we'll just keep changing parts until something gets fixed. Here's your bill. Dangerous. Well, God doesn't do that. God knows how to repair us. He knows where we hurt. He knows where we lack. And these are the things that we do. Many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman. He told me all that I ever did. Only God knows that. Only God knows everything about you. That's why only God can really forgive you. Because God knows everything. That's what I need. I need somebody that knows me and that will forgive me. Not just know what I want them to know about me and forgive me. See, again, this is the fantasy being better than the reality. We can have our ideas of who somebody is, and the problem is it could be completely wrong. So, verse 40, when the Samaritans had come to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. You know, it's funny, they asked Jesus to stay, he stayed. Isn't that great? If you tell Jesus to go away, he'll go away. Well, we remember that here we find Jesus stayed a couple extra days with them and taught them and loved them. Well, notice, many more believe because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Isn't that amazing? That sometimes there will be an initial invitation to hear something about God, but then the reality of who God sets in. The Bible talks about how we build upon our faith. You realize what you're doing today, you'll build on your faith tomorrow. So how important it is that we consider what kind of foundation we lay because of what we will be building on tomorrow. Well, verse 43, it says, After the two days he departed from there and went to the Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now, this is a a tragedy, but it's true. And this is why many times it's hard for many of you to share with your parents. You know, you go to your parents that maybe aren't born again, and you say, Mom, Dad, Dad, Mom, you know, you're on your way to hell. And they go, shut up, you little... I changed your diapers when you were a baby. You know, and, and... But, Mom, you don't understand. Well, they don't understand the message you bring is not your own. It's a message from God. And so this is where the problem ultimately sets in. And so understanding that oftentimes, and this is something you have to realize, and it's hard, that you're not honored in your own place. There's a lot of reasons why that is. I think for Jesus, I think they just took him as common. They watched him grow up. Yeah, he he does some miracles with loaves and breads and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, nothing to get too much on about. And and, and so they, they actually allow themselves to be robbed because of their own prejudice against someone that they knew. Well, of course, Jesus here said that prophets not honor in his own country. That's why each other is needed. If you don't know how to tell your parents about Jesus... Get a fellow brother or sister in the Lord to do it. If they won't receive your word, then find somebody else that they will listen to. It's not an excuse. And by the way, one of the things you gather 
in here, and it's also a great business principle, there's really no excuse for failure. That's one of the things that we have to always look at, no matter what we do. We've been going through, uh, since we started the book of John, not only the spiritual application of what Jesus said, the actual application, but it applies in every aspect of our life. And so whether you call um, uh, Peter the rock, because Jesus saw him for what he would be, that's a business principle as well. When you see something for what it can be for rather than what it is, that's how you make a living. That's how a contractor goes and looks at an empty lot on a corner and sees a mall and gas stations and Dunkin' Donuts and all those kinds of things all in there because they have an eye for it. They can see into the future. And I do believe that God will do that in our lives as well when we see people that we invest our time with that, hey, maybe they didn't accept Christ today, but I'll keep loving them, I'll keep speaking to them, I'll keep encouraging them until that point where the gospel makes sense. Now, it may or may not be your words that do that, but nevertheless, as Jesus is saying here, the seed was sown, some sow, some reap. And as Paul says, again in 1 Corinthians 3, it is God that brings the increase. Well, looking at this. For Jesus himself testified, a prophet has no honor in his own country. Don't forget that. Don't feel that you're being slighted or your message is not good. It's just the familiarity. They've seen your failures. They've seen your successes. And they just think, oh, you're just one. It's it's kind of a, a misplaced reverence. And it's unfortunate, but it does happen. And so you just have to look past that. Jesus told you it was going to happen. Don't get bummed out about it. So when he came to the Galilee, the Galileans received him having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had also gone to the feast. What did Jesus do at Jerusalem? Well, he cleared the temple. And that was one of the things. Because I think there was a lot of people who were kind of fed up with the religious system, the buying and selling. And when Jesus uh, cleared the temple, he said, my house should be called a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. And he overturned the table of the money changers. Why did he do that? Well, first of all, there were people coming from all over the world that wanted to tithe or give honor to God financially, but the temple would only accept the Jewish shekel. So if you came with your Roman denarii, eh, we don't take that. So then they would direct you to a money changer. You'd go down to the money changer, which the Sanhedrin owned the money changers. It was a racket. And so you say, well, here's here's a a, a dollar. Uh, I'd like to convert it to the shekel. And they go, "Eh, we'll do that for you for a percentage. And so here people were just wanting to give to God. And there was people skimming, trying to take money and make a make a, a scam on the side of it. We remember Jesus chased them out. Then also there was the inspected animals for your sins. And so, you know, this one checks out, kosher. This one checks out, kosher. You know, and they had a whole bunch of them. You'd bring your animal in. Oh no, look, there must be a little spot here or something. We cannot accept this. So you'd have to go down, use your converted shekel, or maybe I should say your converted denarii to buy what you needed, and then they would accept it. Well, 
this what was going on. Jesus cleared the temple. And a lot of people kind of like that. They kind of like going against the grain. You know, there's a... Within us, I don't know if you ever noticed this, there's a built-in rebellion. We're just that way. Don't think there's something necessarily wrong with you. It's just that once we become a Christian, we want to rebel against the wrong things. Thank you for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash it's time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.